Deuteronomy chapter 12. If you turn there. I'm sure you've all heard of someone who needs to be put in their place. We all know what we mean when we say that. We usually say it when someone has elevated themselves into a position that's higher than it should be. And so they need to be taken down a notch. That person needs to be humbled a little bit. He needs to be put in his place. He somehow lost touch with reality, and someone needs to come along and help him see, well, reality. He's maybe not as important as he thinks he is. When we think of a place, putting someone in their place, we usually think of it as a location. But when you think about that saying, a place is where someone belongs. We're saying that that person thinks he belongs somewhere that he doesn't. And so he needs to be put in his proper place. Well, this morning, in the time that we have left, I want us to think about the place of worship. When you come to church at 1045 on Sunday mornings, some of you I know come earlier for Sunday school, but when you come into this service, you come to what we call our worship service. You're coming into this building, into this place to worship. You're coming to a a geographical location. Well, I want you to look in your Bibles in Deuteronomy 12, and we're going to learn about the place to worship. And we're going to learn about the place of worship. We're going to put worship in its proper place. If you are now totally confused as to what I'm talking about and think I'm talking in circles, just stay with me. I'm going to try to explain all that. I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 12 and listen to how often Moses talks about worship as a place. Chapter 12, verse 1. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars, dash in pieces their pillars, burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herd, of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to all that we're doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around, so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose To make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, contributions that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow before the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. 
Take care that you do not offer burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, there you shall offer burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. And just verse 32, the last verse there in chapter 12, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. As you listen to that, it becomes very obvious that Moses is instructing these people who are about to go to the promised land from the edge of the Jordan where they're at right now on how they are to worship God once they get in there. You could also say he's instructing them on where to worship because it keeps on talking about this place. But if you look at the beginning and at the end, you'll have this same line. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. There's a right way to worship God and there's a wrong way to worship God. The wrong way to worship God is the way the the pagan nations worship their gods. So Moses says at the beginning there, destroy all the places where the nations worship their gods. Tear them down, dash them into pieces, burn them up, chop them down, destroy their name from that place. Down at the end he says, be careful that you don't get ensnared. There are certain areas in which God's people are vulnerable to temptation, and one of those areas is in what we worship and in how we worship. That's why they needed instructions. That's why we need instructions on the godly way to worship. Did you know that God has an interest in how we worship? In fact, God is very interested in how his people will worship him. He's so interested that he tells us how to do it. In fact, the ultimate concern for God's people is how they worship their God. You'll see this from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. In Genesis, Adam failed to worship God. He did not keep the only rule that God commanded. And in Revelation, as we just looked at, worship is pictured as the activity we'll be doing for all eternity. God's people should be a worshiping people. And if you look through the Bible, worship is not something that's confined to Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes. It's the main activity for God's people 24-7. God's people should always be acknowledging their God. God's people should always have an attitude of worship, a lifestyle of worship, a heart to worship their Creator and their King and their Savior. As God's people, we don't just want to have a knowledge of God. We don't ever want our affections to become dry. We want to know more about God so that we can rightly worship God and adore God and love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. Thankfully, the one that we worship does not leave us alone to try to figure out how to do that. He tells us people the right way to worship Him. And He has every right to do that. He's the Lord God. He's our Lord. He created us. He made us. He owns us. We are His people. We are His redeemed people. We are His douloi, His his slaves. So we don't come up with our own ideas on how to worship. We We definitely don't want the world to suggest how we worship. In fact, here it specifically says, don't do what the world does. And we don't have to because God tells us. When it comes to worship, we take our cues from God. If there's one thing that this chapter absolutely hammers home is that God chooses how we worship. 
In verse 5, you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose. Verse 11, same thing, the place that the Lord your God will choose. There you shall bring all that I command you. And in between, did you notice it says, you shall not do according to all that we're doing here today. Everyone that's doing, uh, everyone doing that, what's right in their own eyes. When they got into the land, the Lord would prescribe how they worship. And so when it comes to how we worship, we want to have our ears open and our eyes open to listen to God. And how do we listen to God today? Through His Word. We want the Bible, the very Word of God, to regulate our worship. Now there might be some differences on how we apply the teachings on worship, but God's Word, you need to know, is not silent on this issue. The question for us is always, are we willing to let God's Word guide us? Will we submit ourselves under God, or do we think that the Bible is somehow outdated and, and irrelevant for our culture. There are now new ways of worship. Need to be contemporary. Well, we do. We do need to shift with our culture. But some of these essential things, we don't need to shift. We need God's Word to guide us and we need to be willing to submit ourselves under God's Word. Especially in our worship, how we come before God, in, a, in our music, in our preaching, we need to let God's Word guide us. And when we look into God's word, we should be asking, does our worship reflect the holiness of God? Does the way we come to worship on the Lord's Day morning reflect the holiness and and transcendence of God? Or has it perhaps become too casual and relaxed? It's always good to to evaluate those kinds of things in, in light of God's truth. Well, even in this one chapter, we have some principles that we can apply to our worship, both on an individual level, and here I think it's talking specifically on how we worship as a community, on a corporate level. So let's quickly allow Moses' instructions to guide us this morning as we try to put worship in the right place. First thing we learn here is that worship must be Christ-centered. Worship must be Christ-centered. Now you might be saying, Pastor, how how do you get that from Deuteronomy? This is more than a thousand years before Jesus. Well, the answer comes here in all this talk about seeking a place to put God's name. That sounds like Moses has in mind a location where God is to be worshipped, yet it doesn't name the place here. I think that's because ultimately worship is not about where but about who. It's not about a place, it's about a person. Now we know that Israel at this point had a tabernacle that symbolized God's presence and that that tent and, and the Ark of the Covenant traveled with Israel when they were wandering through the wilderness. And we learn later that the tabernacle mostly uh, rested once they were in the land in a place called Shiloh and it moved to a few other places as well. But eventually the tabernacle would become a temple that was more a permanent structure that was built by Solomon in Jerusalem. So is Jerusalem the place? Is Shiloh the place? Is Bethel the place? What is it? Well, even here in verse 5 where it talks about seeking a place, it's more about a place to put his name and his habitation. It's the name that is important. It's the person. 
That's why way back in verse 3, along with destroying all the pagan places of worship, it says, you shall destroy their name out of that place. And then you replace those names with another name. What is that name? Well, when we get to the Old Testament prophecies, we start to find out that God's name will be exalted in the form of a person. And then in the New Testament, we learn the identity of this name. Philippians 2 verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should do what? Should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's, what's going on here that, that, that Paul is picturing? It's worship. Global heavenly and even under the earth worship the place we are to seek to worship God is Jesus the place is Jesus the place becomes a person and so all of our worship should have Christ as its focus all our singing should focus on Christ as it did this morning all our preaching needs to focus on Christ I've heard Way too many sermons where Jesus Christ is not even mentioned in the whole sermon. That, to me, by definition, is not a, Christ, a Christian sermon. It's all about how we need to have a better marriage and how we need to raise better children and how we need to help the poor and how we need to tithe. Those are all good things, but they have to be founded on the preaching of Jesus and on the preaching of the cross. Otherwise, they're without foundation and context and become only good works devoid of gospel foundations. And that really becomes a, a, a Christless, non-gospel. We must focus on what God has done through Christ and only then on the implications of that for our lives. And so our worship must center on the name and on the person of Christ. And I just want to say one other thing about this place, especially in on how it develops through the Bible, particularly in how Jesus himself sees it in the passage in John 4 that Pastor Wayne read. The story there, if you heard it, was about a a woman who comes under conviction after she encounters Jesus. Jesus sees right through her. He he understands her past life. He mentions her checkered past. and, And now that she's found out, and I think she's repentant in between there. The very thick, the next thing she wants to know is where to worship. And she's confused. Her people, the Samaritans, worship in one place. Jews worship in another place. And she's going, okay, what do I do now? Where do I go? Says our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you, uh, speaking about the Jews, say Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And so she's thinking here geography. But look at what Jesus says. It's not the mountain or Jerusalem. It's not a place. God wants worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And Jesus, of course, before that, becomes this living water that she's seeking. It's, it's how we worship, not where. It's about a heart attitude. It's a, it's a lifestyle. In spirit and in truth. And then this place becomes not just a person, but People. It becomes the church. Worship is congregational. With Christ, there's a new way of worship. These verses I read before during our Lord's Supper time in Hebrews 10 talk about a new and living way. 
in which we can enter into worship because Jesus already went into the temple, in fact, and went into the Holy of Holies, and he gained access for us where before there was no access. Remember at the cross, the veil of the curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies is turned is torn in two. And now we can draw near. 1 Corinthians says that someone who is joined to the Lord, every Christian, every believer, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So individually, we are the place. But even more, together we become the place. It is as we come together that we worship. We are a worshiping community. Listen to Ephesians 2, 19-22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Did you catch that? Just look at those things slowly again. You are built on Jesus Christ in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. When God's people come together like we are today, God dwells here. Together, we are the place where God dwells by His Spirit. That should put some weight, some substance, some meaning into our worship. When we gather as God's redeemed people, we are the the great spiritual temple where God lives with His people. Each of us is the temple of the Holy Spirit who are believers. Imagine what it is when we come together. We become a great temple. A worshiping community of God's people in God's presence. Well, what else? What is our worship to be like? Well, back in Deuteronomy 12, it tells us there in verse 6. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herd. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice, you and your households, and all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. It says basically the same thing there in verses 11 and 12. Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. There you shall bring all these things again. Verse 12, and you shall rejoice. You and your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, Levite that was within your town. Look at that, that's a community. A community of people come together to worship. And they come, number one, to give. Worship is giving. You see that in the mention of all the different kinds of offerings there. When we go to worship as God's community, giving must be a main part of our time together. And I don't mean just our, our offering time. If you leave after God's people have been together and can say to whoever you say it to or to yourself, I didn't get anything out of that, then you've totally missed the point of worship. When God wanted his people to come together, they were to give of themselves. They weren't there in large part to receive. They're not there as a passive audience. They were there as participants. 
sometimes us that, that lead worship can play into that sort of mindset. I fear sometimes that we can give the unintended message that we're the performers, performers and you're the audience. You know, we sort of dim the house lights and we put big spotlights that focus on the stage or on me, which prohibit me sometimes from even seeing you out there. And when we sing, we turn up the speakers, which sometimes prohibit the congregation to be heard. And so what we have intended to do, you know, to help you see better and to hear better, I fear can have the effect of turning the congregation into the audience. And if that's the case, we need to sit down and figure out a way to change that. Worship is congregational. We need to sing to one another. But worship is not intended for people to get something out of it. Worship is when the community of God's people come together to give Him praise and worship. Soren Kierkegaard said, people have the idea that the preacher is an actor on a stage and they are the critics blaming or praising him. What they don't know is that they are the actors on the stage. He is merely the prompter standing in the wings, reminding them of their lost lines. And God is the audience. God is the audience. Worship is giving our best to God. It's it's coming with an attitude that's ready and willing to give your attention and ears to God's word as it's read and as it's preached. It's coming with a heart that's ready to give your contributions to God's work. It's coming with a heart that's ready and willing to join with others in giving your voice to the praises and the songs of God's people. It's coming with a recognition that God in His grace and His love has given Himself to you through the sacrifice of His Son. It's coming knowing that God has opened your eyes to be able to respond and to embrace the gospel. It's coming knowing that Christ has joined you to Himself and to the fellowship of God's people. And all of that together should result in great rejoicing. And that's the other concept that's repeated here. They gave and they rejoice. You see that in verse 7 and and 12 and again at the end of of verse 18. Just take a look at verse 18. You shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose. You and your son, your daughter, your male servant, uh, female servant, Levite, who is within your towns. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, in all that you undertake. Joy always goes along with giving. It's an interesting connection, isn't it? You think it would hurt to give, that it would be a sacrifice, and that you do it, you know, I have to do this, so that's why I'm going to do it, I don't really want to, and boy, I could really use that money. But in worship, giving and joy always go together. You shall give, you shall rejoice. It's a command here. There's a great story later in Israel's history when they came back into the land from their exile under Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra starts reading the word of God. Now, you have to remember that that these people hadn't been together as a congregation for, for almost a generation. And they hadn't sat together under the word of God for years. But in Nehemiah 8, Ezra read from the law heard the law for the very first time in a long time. Some of them for the first time. And, and some of the people start crying, some of the older people, because the temple worship is just not the same as it was before. But the leaders basically tell them to stop it. 
And Ezra says, eat and drink and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. When they worshipped as a congregation, he didn't want them to be weeping over what they had lost before or what they were missing. He wanted them to be rejoicing because they were together worshiping God. Is your worship marked by rejoicing? Is our worship as a congregation joyous worship? I pray that we as God's people might be so captivated by what God has done for us in Christ that there would be a sense of joy that would pervade through our worship. Not the kind of outlandish, out-of-control, emotional responses that you might see or read about on on, uh, uh, in books or watch on TV, but a deep-seated joy that is a response to God's lavish grace towards undeserving sinners. Our children, as I said this morning, need to see that worship and church is a, is a, is a time where God's people come together and rejoice together. Did you notice that rejoicing was accompanied there by eating? Hmm. Verse 7, And there you shall eat before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and your households, and all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Giving, rejoicing, and eating were part of Old Testament worship. Well, how about us? You know, we're New Testament Christians. Well, let's look at the very first church. In Acts 2, verse 44, all who believed were together, had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, there's the giving, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number. Day by day, those who were being saved. Their worship included giving and rejoicing and eating. It's consistent. Eating together as a community of those redeemed by the blood of Christ just shows that even the necessary but routine things that we do, like eat, are better when we do them together. They're part of our fellowship with one another. And our fellowship with one another is part of our worship toward God. And so now you can think of the times that we have potluck meals together as Worship times. So it's no surprise that our Lord also ordained that in order to help remember him, the church should partake of the Lord's Supper. Eating, drinking. Which brings us full circle to where we started today. Eating and drinking are the way God's people remember the suffering and death of Jesus. And it's also no surprise that after Jesus comes again and the church will be with him, all believers will be together as part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Worship is the one thing, as I said earlier, that God's people will be doing in heaven that they can already be doing now. And so let's make sure we put worship in its proper place. Worship must be Christ-centered. Worship takes place as we gather together. And as we come together, we worship by giving, by rejoicing, and by just being together and fellowshipping together. I encourage each of you who are part of God's family to have a lifestyle of worship. 
Don't ever let God stray too far from your mind and your affections. And then I encourage each of you to commit yourselves again to be part of a worshiping community. Being part of a church is one of the great means of grace that God has given His people. Don't become haphazard in your attendance. And when you are here, be here. Don't just be here in body and have your mind floating around somewhere else and what happened during the week or what's going to happen for lunch today. Be here. Be here in your mind along with your body. Engage fully. Participate fully. Agree with the prayers. Sing with gusto. Listen to the message. And most of all, worship God. Exalt Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. Let's bow together in prayer.